Hey everybody, this is Father John Ricardo with Acts 29, and in the middle of all the craziness and the uncertainty that's going on right now, it seems from our perspective as a team that it's worth using these days to reflect in a more deliberate way on the scriptures every day, which for many of us now is the only spiritual food that we're receiving. And so we're going to do a special podcast series simply entitled, Be Not Afraid, God's Word in Uncertain Times. And we'll try to post something every day, usually reflecting on the scriptures so that we can listen in on what God is trying to say to us in these days. Today's first reading from Acts chapter 13 verses 44 to 52 is the incredibly dramatic conclusion, probably surprisingly dramatic conclusion, to what began a couple of days ago, this visit of Paul and Barnabas to Pisidian Antioch, which is probably a town that means nothing to almost all of us. And so the last couple of days, uh, we saw Paul preaching in the synagogue in this town, and then uh, Big interest begins to emerge. Now we're a week later in the reading today, and there's a huge crowd that's gathered together, and a number of the Jewish people in the community, we want to be careful we understand this correctly, because Paul and Barnabas are themselves Jewish, they begin to accuse Paul of all sorts of things. There's a jealousy which stirs up amongst them. They uh, begin to uh, reject what Paul's saying. Paul says, in turn, fine, we're going to the Gentiles. The Gentiles rejoiced, and there's more uproar, more furor, and they have to uh, flee the city and head off to a town called Iconium. And I'll bet most of us are just like, what in the world is all the fuss about? And I think that's because as we read Acts, and as we try to picture Paul, most of us, I know I do this all the time, we're reading it with 21st century American glasses on. But we have to be careful to understand not to read it that way and to truly try to grasp the revolutionary impact of what Paul is saying and proclaiming. And the best person I've known or I've gotten to uh, become acquainted with to understand this or to help me understand this is N.T. Wright. I've mentioned on a, a couple of different occasions how profoundly uh, helpful and enjoyable I have found the book Paul, a biography. And as we continue to go through these days of social distancing and uh, still slowly beginning to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, I just want to encourage everybody Man, if you're looking for something to read, just go to Kindle and download this book. N-T, those are the two letters, write, W-R-I-G-H-T, Paul, a biography. It's a game changer. And I think I've read it, I don't know, six or seven times, I'll bet, in just the last couple of years. And I constantly go back to it. And write's especially helpful, I think, for um, enabling us to get a better understanding of the fact of why Paul's going to these places. So, for example, Pisidian Antioch. Ever been there? I haven't. Know why it's so important? I don't. Well, Pisidian Antioch was known as the New Rome. It was a Roman colony. That is to say, it was um, a city which was established by Augustus, Caesar Augustus, in a particular way for the Roman legion soldiers who had retired who he didn't want to come back to Rome because there was no room in Rome. And so he established colonies all across the empire and he gave land to the veterans. In other words, these are places which are tremendously loyal to Caesar, who, oh, by the way, 
in the Roman Empire is called Lord. For most of us as Christians, we say Jesus is Lord, and it's the ending of a prayer. When Paul says Jesus is Lord, those are fighting words. He knows exactly what he's saying. Caesar is Lord is printed everywhere. It's on the money. That is, as Wright says, like the social media or the internet of the day. Coins were the way in which you, uh, you conveyed propaganda about the empire. And the coins were minted with Caesar's name and Caesar's Lord. And then there was all sorts of other... Um, not just graffiti, but monuments which were erected in various towns, which again communicated the same point. And so when Paul comes into these places, which are bastions of loyalty to another Lord, proclaiming the proclamation of the gospel, oh, this isn't just some religious message. And that's hard for us again, because faith for most of us in America, right, this is a private thing. We have Separation of church and state. There is no separation of church and state in the Roman Empire. There's no separation of church and state anywhere, really, until the French Revolution. There's no such thing. The, the, the gods in the Roman Empire were everywhere. And so to suddenly remove yourself from that, which is what Paul's calling people to do, to, to turn from idols to the living God, this means you are now no longer part of almost every aspect of public life. And there is no private life, really, in the Roman Empire. Which means people noticed. Which means to become a Christian was dangerous. And yet attractive all at the same time. Attractive because here's the proclamation not just of you know, some interesting guy, but of God being faithful to the promises that he had made, and the promises that he had made is that he was going to do something about the situation of the human race, which was bound by the power of death and sin, and he did that by going to the cross and by destroying the powers of death and of sin, by defeating the dark Lord, by his own action on the cross and his resurrection. And so hope is instilled for people. And not just hope to get to heaven one day, as important as that is. Hope that the recreation of the world in which we live, even now, has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul's preaching. And this is what we're supposed to be preaching and living. Not just a private faith, something that we do once a week for an hour. No. A turning of our allegiance to the one Lord, the rightful king of the universe, and then seeking to be not just witnesses by our own interior personal transformation of what that turning to the true Lord has done in our lives, but then agents in his hands to bring about the transformation of the culture in which we live. And this is why in just four chapters in the Acts of the Apostles, the accusation is going to be made against Paul. This guy is turning the world upside down because he's trying to proclaim the gospel so that people who turn their allegiance to Jesus will be seeking to work for the kingdom even now and to try to bring everything, every sphere of influence that they're involved in, family life, education, care for the poor, care for the sick, politics, athletics, you name it, everything, to do it in such a way so that it's in harmony with the Father's original plan. 
And that's dangerous, at least for those who have other lords. So let's continue to do all we can to ask the Holy Spirit as we continue to get closer to the days of Pentecost to help us turn from our idols, which have been so exposed in this time, and turn our allegiance to the one true God, then to proclaim to others by the joy of our lives, the witness of our lives, the attractiveness of our lives, this one Lord who has changed our lives. And then let's ourselves do what we can today, tomorrow, and the time ahead to turn our world upside down with the weapons of truth and goodness and beauty and love and mercy. Do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. 